This is an ABC podcast. Good morning. This is Pacific Beat on ABC Radio Australia. Today on the show, a month on from disastrous twin cyclones, Vanuatu is still picking up the pieces. There's still a lot of stagnant water that's, that remains in, in affected areas with debris building up um, and still not being able to be fully cleared. And why a new study forecasting the Antarctic's rapidly melting ice has Pacific climate experts concerned. Quite alarming. This is definitely um, a wake-up call for everyone. And a scandal in the world of pro wrestling after Roman Reigns from the Samoan bloodline claimed the title at WrestleMania last night. Oh my God, not like this! We'll find out why his win has fans reeling. All that and more today on the show. I'm Priyanka Srinivasan. So glad to have your company. First, though... At least three people have been killed after a magnitude 7.1 earthquake hit Papua New Guinea's East Sepik province yesterday. It hit the remote Chambri Lake, southwest of Wewak, at a depth of 60 kilometres just after 4am on Monday. Dozens of homes were reported to have collapsed and roads damaged. At Timbun village near the earthquake's epicentre, Victor Tonicon was woken by shaken earth. We didn't get any uh, indication or sign that, that there, there was going to be an earthquake. And so it took us by surprise this morning. Um, but the good thing was uh, people were able to uh, leave their houses. They came down and uh, there was no one who was uh, badly hurt. And uh, did it do any damage to houses or anything like that? <laughs> yes, uh, there were um, some damages. Uh, three houses were um, being pushed down uh, to the ground. And uh, we had some uh, crack on the uh, ground, the soil itself. And uh, in my village, uh, there are things called boulders, uh, you know, those big stones. Um, they rolled down the uh, hillside and uh, it was lucky that did not uh, hit any house or people. And how many uh, people would you say are in your village? How many houses? Um, we've got, uh, uh, let me see, around um, 1,800 houses. Describe for me what... It was like when the ground started to shake. Uh, what were you doing and what were your thoughts at the time? Uh, we were at the house at the time. Um, the um, movement was, um, I would say it was uh, very strong. Did it go on for long? Yes. Um, uh, it lasted uh, for about uh, seven, seven, seven minutes. Wow, that's a long time. Were you sleeping at the time? Yes, I was I was past asleep. And then when the... Um, uh, Earthquake occurred. I was able to open the door and run out of my house. And did lots of other people do that as well? Run out of their house? Yes, yes yeah. They also ran out of the houses, and um, some got uh, minor injuries, like they bumped their uh, legs and hands as they were helping themselves out of uh, the houses. So it was a big shock for everyone. Yes, it was really. And have there been any aftershocks? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had, we had, like after every um, thirty to forty minutes. Has it calmed down now? Are there are there still aftershocks, or is it calm now? Well, it has uh, calmed down, uh, unlike in the morning hours. That was Victor Tonikon from Timboon Village, close to the earthquake's epicenter. He was speaking there to Liam Fox.
More than a month on from two devastating cyclones, Vanuatu is still working to get food and clean water to communities struggling to rebuild. The Category 4 cyclones, Judy and Kevin, hit the country in early March, displacing hundreds and destroying homes, food gardens, roads and other infrastructure. As Mackenzie Smith reports, their effects are still being felt by many in Vanuatu. Jean-Pascal Wahir works at Vanuatu's cultural centre on Tana, one of the hardest-hit areas. It's the first time in history that there's a two-cyclone hitting Vanuatu in, in just uh, a week, two at the same time. And uh, the damage is uh, a little bit big. Beyond the flattened houses lies another ongoing cost. Recovery efforts are still focused on getting clean food and water supplies to communities, many of them in remote areas. Save the Children Vanuatu Country Director Jack French says waterholes and containers have been contaminated. It's quite a logistical exercise to reach um, a population that is so dispersed. Um, And what normally can be relied upon for rainwater um, without the the adequate um, water containers and, and water tanks uh, this has not been able to be captured uh, at present. So it's a it's an ongoing um, challenge for the government to keep ahead of this um, access to, to water. Food is also scarce. With many families' crops decimated by the gale force winds, they are relying on government supplies of rice and tuna. Mr French says the wet season in Vanuatu has stymied recovery efforts. While localised flooding is occurring, there's still a lot of stagnant water that's, that remains in, in affected areas with debris building up. Um, and still not being able to be fully cleared or not fully um, transparent about what's causing the, that water to build up. And with that comes the, the risk of, of um, waterborne diseases and, and the lack of access to safe water to use for the for household use. The Director-General of the Ministry of Agriculture, Livestock, Forestry, Fisheries and Biosecurity, Moses Amos, says the government is assisting around 45,000 families. If, if most of lives could be in the form of... Uh shelter, couple and there's I think a number of a lot of the communities have households destroyed so shelter is, is an area where assistance is needed and also water especially. Mr Amos says the government is running behind schedule on recovery efforts, but they're working to get farming tools and seeds to communities to start the next stage of the process. Australia, France and even Fiji sent troops and relief supplies to help those affected by the cyclones last month. Jack French says more help is needed from the international community. Vanuatu needs cash. Families need to start their, their risk-informed recovery right now. That means you know, cash to pay for necessary agricultural inputs to replant their crops um, or, or, or restock their supplies. Um, They need money to to rebuild their homes in a a safer and more risk-informed way. Uh, They need to cover costs associated with restarting and and rebuilding their schools. He says while disaster relief has been effective, there needs to be more focus on long-term recovery, particularly education. Mr French says he's also worried that some families who return to their homes are now back in evacuation centres due to ongoing wet weather. And that was Mackenzie Smith with that report. You're listening to Pacific Beat this Tuesday morning. I'm Priyanka Srinivasan. 
Pacific climate experts, uh, Pacific climate experts and advocates are alarmed by a study that says a key system driving ocean currents from near Antarctica could be on course for collapse. The study, published in the journal Nature, shows that rapidly melting Antarctic ice is causing a massive slowdown in deep ocean currents, and that could have a disastrous effect on the climate, as Dubrovka Volodair reports. Antarctica might be remote, but its deep and cold seas are home to a key system that drives ocean currents. It acts like a lung for the oceans and carries heat, carbon, oxygen and nutrients around the world. But the predictions of what's going to happen to it by 2050, if we keep polluting Earth at current levels, are dire. We've used an, an ocean and sea ice model and we've looked at when you add meltwater from Antarctica into the ocean, what that does to the ocean circulation. Oceanographer Dr Adil Morrison from the Australian National University is one of the study's authors. We've found that by 2050 we're looking at a 40% slowdown of this overturning circulation. But how does it work? Dr Matthew England is a scientist from the University of New South Wales who coordinated the study. The overturning circulation in the ocean is this massive volume of water that sinks to the bottom of the ocean around Antarctica. And we have an equivalent overturning circulation in the, in the far North Atlantic, just near Greenland. And both these overturning circulations basically ventilate the very deepest layers of the ocean. And it brings oxygen-rich water into the ocean and actually really importantly brings nutrients back up to the surface to feed marine life. And the reason for that slowdown... Dr. Morrison is in no doubt it's climate change. This conveyor belt of this overturning circulation, it moves heat and carbon and nutrients all around the global oceans. And so we're looking at a, a big change in how all of those properties get moved around the world. And the effect? It could create impacts that would influence our oceans and our climate. So this can have big impacts on things like fisheries, which need nutrients to be sustained. And it could also lead to more sea level rises in the Pacific. As we slow down this overturning circulation around the Antarctic, this opens a pathway for warmer waters to get up onto the continental shelf um, against the Antarctic ice sheet. This could lead to increased ice melt and accelerated sea level rise coming from Antarctica in the future. Dr Morrison says it's hard to predict by how much the sea levels would rise. Siosina Louis from SPREP, the Secretariat of the Pacific Regional Program, is worried. It's uh, quite alarming. This is definitely um, a wake-up call for everyone. Also, it does verify what the Pacific has been saying all along. Um, this is quite alarming as our ocean state. Miss Louis says it could have a big effect on the region. Also, the impact, the added impact that will have on our coastal communities. In Vanuatu, Flora Vanu of the NGO Action Aid is at the forefront, working with women and children affected by climate change. She says the study's predictions match her worst fears. So hearing this, our livelihood will be very much at high risk. We might probably want to start recording our stories and our lives and transferring some of the indigenous knowledge into soft copies or into technology, digital, is our identity safe? Dr. Adil Morrison says cuts to greenhouse gas emissions to net zero could reduce the ice melt and slow the decline. 
For Miss Louie, those cuts cannot come soon enough. As specific uh, islanders, well, we've been made a, a strong call for action. It's heavy. What we have now, we are maybe gone in the next 30 years, and we're not talking the, the next 50, 100. It's 30 years. It's right within my lifetime. That was CEO Sina Louis from the South, South Pacific Regional Environmental Program, or SPREP, ending that report by Dubrovka Volodar. Inside Rugby League on ABC Radio Australia, hosted by ABC Sport commentator Zane Bojack. Inside Rugby League is a weekly look at the lighter side of rugby league, featuring game insights, latest news and interviews with rugby league legends and from around the edges. So close to the action, you can almost taste the turf. Inside Rugby League, Tuesday nights at 6pm PNG time on ABC Radio Australia, your home of rugby league in the Pacific. It's time to find out what's been making news around the Pacific. And to do that, we're joined by Kyle Evans. Good morning, Kyle. Good morning, Priyanka. Um, and, and now a story about uh, Vanuatu's troubled national airline yet again. A number of passengers have been left stranded after Air Vanuatu's largest carrier broke down over the weekend. What exactly happened? Yeah, it's a shame to be uh, reporting on something like this again, but uh, passengers have been stranded in Auckland, Sydney and Port Vila after the airline's sole 737 was grounded in Brisbane. So this is reported by the New Zealand Herald and uh, it was cancelled due to a mechanical issue uh, and isn't actually set to depart again until uh, tomorrow at the earliest, uh, meaning the whole network has been disrupted uh, and meant passengers who were meant to fly home over the weekend couldn't uh, and were told they wouldn't actually even get an update until yesterday just given the customer service wasn't open on weekends. Meanwhile, tra- uh, meanwhile travellers travelling to Vanuatu were told they wouldn't leave uh, until tomorrow at the earliest. Oh, that's a real shame. Um, and I, I believe it comes at the time. I, th- I saw some um, stories about Virgin, the um, flights that go from Australia to uh, Vanuatu opening up again. So a shame that this is happening at that time where more people could be mm. heading to Vanuatu. Um, has the carrier, has Air Vanuatu released a statement at all? Yeah, so as of 12 hours ago, it confirmed the plane was still uh, awaiting parts. Uh, luckily, the airline has uh, agreed to uh, cover accommodation as well as food expenses uh, and those str- and, and those uh, who haven't left for Vanuatu yet are being offered full refunds uh, and those that are uh, 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 full refunds. Yeah. Okay. That's, well, that's good news for passengers who have been stranded and haven't been able to go on the trips. I imagine that, you know, some of them may, might have only been planning to, you know, go out of the country for a short period of time and then, <laughs> and then to be faced with these issues. Um, that is a real shame. Um, interesting that you said that they're waiting for parts to come in. You'd hope that would have been sorted out before the flights are scheduled. But, yeah, um, that's right. From what I understand, they might actually, who knows, maybe they've got to be imported or something like that. Interesting. And, yeah. Very interesting. Well, we'll keep everyone updated about the, the, the ongoing issues related to Air Vanuatu there. Um, now about a story um, from Cook Islands Prime Minister Mark Brown. He's made a stopover in Washington. Can you tell us more? Is anything being announced there? 
Yeah, so it's been described as a whistle-stop visit by the whistle Cook, stop, Cook Islands heard. News, and I haven't heard of that, that term either. <laughs> I don't exactly know what that means. Um, but uh, he met with the United States Secretary of State, uh, Anthony Blinken, as well as Deputy Secretary of State, uh, Wendy Sherman. So he was photographed with Sherman on her Twitter account, and according to a statement released by Ms. Sherman's office, uh, they discussed the deepening of of the bilateral, rela- bilateral relationship between the US and the Cook Islands, as well as the upcoming uh, Pacific Collins Forum meeting. Mm, interesting. Um, now, Mr. Brown, he's voiced opposition to the US, UK's, and Australia's AUKUS deal. That was that nuclear um, powered submarine deal that was announced a couple of weeks ago now, I believe. Um, did that come up in? discussions at all? That's right. Eight nuclear submarines, and I believe it did come up. However, it's unclear exactly uh, what was said. We know Mr. Brown worried the alliance went against the Treaty of Rorotonga, uh, which sought to limit the proliferation of nuclear weapons. Uh, And it's worth noting that Sherman's statement addressed the agreement and said it adheres to the highest non-proliferation standards. So let's very much assume that was on the agenda. However, uh, specifics weren't detailed. The Cook Islands News has approached Mr. Brown uh, for, for those details, but that uh, they, they were yet to receive a response. Mm, interesting. Well, I wonder if it's because I, I guess we, we keep on hearing by um, those behind AUKUS that these aren't about nuclear weapons. It's nuclear-powered submarines. Um, of course, there are still concerns that the technology behind the submarines, this nuclear technology, could still be detrimental because obviously nuclear technology means nuclear waste and and the difficulties in, in um, getting rid of that and the impact on the environment. Um, but yes, interesting to, to, to hear that and see that it is coming up and that um, Pacific leaders like Mr. Brown are, are worried about that, that AUKUS deal. Um, and now let's head to Fiji, where police there are investigating a fake work scam. It's duped over 100 people. What exactly is the scam about? Yeah, 120 villagers from Ra, uh, to be exact. Uh, it seems they were duped into going to work in Canada, of all places. Um, it's actually very sad. You really hate to report on these sorts of stories. It's understood the villagers had paid money to a man supposedly working as an agent for a company over there. However, when they arrived at Nandi International Airport last week to catch a flight to Vancouver, the agent was nowhere to be seen. Oh, gosh. So, yeah, a police spokeswoman has uh, come out and said the matter was under investigation. Let's very much hope they can get to the bottom of it. Yes, yes. And there have been such scandals, not just in Fiji, but across the Pacific around, um, well, I've heard of a lot of them around seasonal work, about fake seasonal work agents sort of getting in touch with, with villagers and, and people around the country and saying, we've got an agreement with the farm back back in Australia or New Zealand, come over, give me your money and, and we can make it all happen. And of course, they abscond with that money. I, I guess it's always important to just check and double check and triple check with various authorities, with the department's government, um, make sure that you have contracts and, and sort of a paper trail that can mm. be used by by police um, to to investigate if if in so if if it so happens that you get scammed. But yeah, very sad for 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 120 people wrapped up in this. Let's hope they get their money back at some point. Yeah, absolutely. Um, thank you, Carl, for those stories. Um, and I know you're a wrestling fan. Is that is that right, Carl? That's right. I stayed up a little bit too late last night uh, watching WrestleMania and paid a uh, dear price for it this morning when I uh, didn't wake up for my alarm, So, <laughs> <laughs> as, as you're well aware. 
Yeah, well, this is probably the only one one day that you're allowed to sleep in um, because of wrestling, because we actually have a wrestler coming up on the show. Um, I mean, you would have known Roman Reigns from the great American Samoan dynasty, the Bloodline. Mm-hmm. Well aware. Yes, he he won out yesterday quite yeah. quite spectac- spectacularly. He did very much cheated to do so. Worth pointing out. But. Indeed, <laughs> indeed, a bit of a scandal has arisen in pro wrestling, and we'll get to the bottom of that scandal coming up on the show. We'll be speaking to a Samoan comic book artist and and uh, and well wrestler himself, bloody Samoan Michael Muipola. He'll be coming up on the show, talk about all about wrestling, pro wrestling, and the ins and outs of, of yesterday's match. Um, do stay tuned. I'm sure you will be, Kyle. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> and hope you're taking it easy this Tuesday morning on Pacific Beach. I'm Priyanka Srinivasan. An ambitious immunization program is aiming to vaccinate up to 100,000 children in the Pacific. Health workers funded by UNICEF and Rotary are travelling to nine Pacific countries to vaccinate against rotavirus, pneumococcal disease and HBV. Our reporter, Jordan Fennell, spoke with Dr. Francis Kotoni Vualiku, who says 1,500 children in the Pacific region die before their fifth birthday from preventable disease. In the Pacific, there's lots of vulnerabilities that exist um, in the Pacific uh, island countries, and um, we're looking at... Um, access to good nutrition and food diversity in the early years of life. We're also uh, looking at um, access to safe uh, and clean drinking water, good sanitation. And so these are all the factors that um, um, affect a child's um, ability to survive and to thrive um, um, in their early years of life. And so um, also these just worsens their, their, ch- their chances of, you know, um getting these diseases like uh, these vaccine preventable diseases like uh, pneumococcal disease or rotavirus and so these uh, life-saving vaccines that uh, we are introducing across nine pacific island countries um will actually save lives uh, this is uh, an effective um initiative that uh, through the collaboration with Rotary and UNICEF and working uh, to support ministries of health in nine Pacific countries, we were able to uh, provide these um, life-saving vaccines to, to vulnerable children to save them from from vaccine-preventable diseases. Is the program currently rolling out at the moment or has it already concluded? Where is it at? What stage is it at at the moment? So across the nine Pacific Island countries, we're in different stages, but but uh, more so with towards the end of the program where we introduced these uh, three new vaccines um, a few years back. And um, we've seen the impact. We already can see the impact that it's having on our children here in the Pacific. We are seeing declining rates in rotavirus, for example. While we were in Kiribati this week, we saw that uh, since the introduction in 2015, uh, we've seen a major decline in cases of rotavirus uh, or children getting sick from the rotavirus. And so it really shows the impact and together with that like I was also um, saying earlier that it's nutrition is also a huge component proper nutrition access to safe and clean drinking water is these are also uh, crucial elements in um, uh, surrounding a child's health and so immunization is one part of it and um, and we're just glad to support these ministries of health in these nine countries to introduce these three new vaccines 
and uh, save lives. And what sort of response have you had from people in the countries you've been visiting? Um, has there been any hesitancy to getting the vaccines or are people welcoming it? What have you seen? There's been um, a good response from uh, from the communities, from families. There's also We've also had some challenges with uh, vaccine hesitancy. However, there's been um, a lot of community engagement done around um, the, these three new vaccines and um, we're working with community leaders, we're working with faith-based organizations, women's group, all to mobilize um, more children and their families to uh, come forward and ensure that these children are receiving these vaccines. Uh, also with the uh, HPV introduction, this is in a different cohort uh, with young girls. And so there's been a lot of misconceptions around this. And um, we're working, UNICEF is working really closely with uh, the Ministry of Health in these countries and working with these children and their families to to create that awareness um, on um, these diseases and how we could save these children. And so it's been uh, great. The uptake has been good. We've had lots of positive comments coming out. This week we were in Kiribati in South Tarawa and also we uh, were fortunate to go to North Tarawa, a remote island in Kiribati. And the uptake has been really good. Families have come forward to vaccinate their children. And so it's been a great collaboration with Rotary. And I'm wondering, um, just on the idea of some people potentially being hesitant, what are you saying to families and what would you say to families now um, about these particular vaccines and why they're safe and important for, for young children to get them? Yeah, so the message that um, I'd like to share is that these vaccines are safe. Um, this vaccine saves lives and these vaccines will give every child a future. And um, uh, this is something that they, the families could make the decision to vaccinate their children and ensure that their children are able to survive and thrive through their early years of life. And um also to encourage um, other families who may be out there. We have uh, spoken to some families and they've been really positive with this um, receiving the vaccines for their children. And so these are the kind of stories that really just um, encourage uh, other families who may have some doubt about around the vaccination. So this is something we've used uh, these positive responses as well uh, in the communities so that we can encourage other families to come forward. That was Dr. Francis Katoni Uvualiku speaking there to reporter Jordan Fennell. Now, in the 1960s, Fa'amo'ana John Lautufu became a state ward in New Zealand at just 15 years old. He and thousand other Pacific and Maori youths suffered abuse within the boys' homes they were put in. And in a new documentary, the Luafutu family confronts the intergenerational trauma of that abuse and explores the healing of a loving family. A, goal, a boy called Piano, the story of Fa'amo'ana John Luafutu, is showing at, in, in Australia. And our reporter Jordan Fennell spoke with John's son, Matthias Luafutu, about what he learned about himself and his father through the filming process. very uh, complicated for me, probably because this was a story that was unheard of in me and my father's relationship. We knew that he'd been through the boys' homes, but like many of them, and I understand why they never spoke about what happened to them. 
it was something he never spoke about until I got the script. That I found out um, pretty much all these things that my father had been through as a state board and going through these homes. But at the same time, it sort of informed me to our relationship and why things were the way the way they were. So when you read the script for the first time and found out all of what happened to your father for the very first time, how did you feel reading and, and learning all of that? Uh, a lot of anger, a lot of anger towards the abusers in, in those homes, uh, a lot of sadness for my father. But I think the most thing that I got out of it was understanding. Before, I, you know, I, I think um, I, growing up I, with the way my father was with dealing with the, what happened to him, um, I thought he didn't like me. <laughs> But I realized my father growing up around housemasters that had this way of disciplining him and raising him. They pretty much raised him from the age of 11 till he was 21. So when I looked at it with our other abuses, my father brought me up the way he was brought up by them. And there's a clip in the documentary where your father expresses that sentiment. I don't want my kids to go through the boys' homes and stuff like I have. So I try and be a better dad, even though I didn't know how to be a dad, you know. I was able to make children, but I didn't know how to be a father. Is is there a memory from your childhood that shines a light on how he was treated and then how that impacted on how he treated you? With uh, physical training and um, when it came to showing uh, the soft side, my father wasn't wasn't very openly affectionate. If anything stands out was the physical education, like my father would have us up under the cold hose, sometimes 5.30 in the morning, maybe, you know, below zero is winter, just to get up and wake ourselves up and to run around the block before we went to primary school. In the documentary, you appear as yourself, but you also play a younger version of your father in flashback scenes. What was it like navigating those two roles? Quite educational for me. Cathartic at times when I had to go to a place in rehearsal rooms to try and find the emotion or the element that my father was going through. So it was a lot of stop and start just because it was heavy. There were more similarities in me and my father's stories than there were differences. What do you hope people who see this documentary take away from it? Um, courage. Courage that if they need to say something that's going to release them, that they do it. And um, hope that wherever they their family may be, if it's where they want it to be or not, that things can get better, that you can turn things around, that for us as a family of um, what we were to what we are now, um, that that can happen for them. I wish every family that has gone through these things, not success, but, you know, the answers to get to where we're at at the moment. That was... Matthias Oluofutu speaking there with reporter Jordan Fennell. You're listening to Pacific Beat. My name is Priyanka Srinivasan. Now it's time to get into the ring. American Samoan pro wrestler Roman Reigns has been controversially crowned the WWE Undisputed Universal Champion yet again. Let's take a listen.
hopefully you get a bit of a taste of the action. That was all from the final of WrestleMania that took place last my- night. And for the for those of you unfamiliar, WrestleMania is an almost four decade old televised professional wrestling event. It draws millions of fans from around the world. But unfortunately, I'm not one of them. So to help us unpack the wrestling scandal and the ins and outs of wrestling, uh, the wrestling world, we have wrestler and comic book artist Mikhail Muipola joining us, although he's otherwise known as Bloody Samoan. Mikhail, welcome to the show. Or should I say Bloody Samoan? Um. <laughs> Thank you, Malol. It's way for. Uh, thank you for having me. Thank you. Um, so, very interesting match last night. Uh, Roman Reigns, villain, I understand of of um, the the world of pro wrestling. There were a lot of boos in the crowd after he lifted the prize, defeating I understand Cody Rhodes. Why? Why were these boos? Do you have any any inkling as to why that might be, Mikel? Well, Cody Rhodes had returned to WWE after a few years away, and you know he became you know, the hot crowd favorite. You know the crowd wanted to see him become uh, WWE champion for the first time, but you know uh, Roman Reigns, you know winning means that you know the crowd don't get that satisfaction, and so you know obviously when you don't get things your way, you uh, end up booing, you end up kind of being upset and whatnot, and. Uh, you know, as a professional wrestler myself, one of the best things uh, is getting the hate, <laughs> uh, getting the crowd to boo you through your actions. So are, are you a, a heel? Are you a villain as well, um, Michael? Michael? Um, it's funny, I'm, I'm known as what's a tweener, so I can be a good guy or a bad guy, depending on my uh, my mood uh, <laughs> that night. Uh, so, yeah, I, I have uh, grey areas. Oh well, that's nice. I guess it's like like life itself. And and in fact, Mikael, I mean, I'm one of those people who haven't grown up, hasn't grown up with wrestling. It's a bit outside of of what I know. Can you explain a bit about it? Because it is there is this theatrics and drama that goes behind it as well, isn't it? Yeah, you know, um, you know a lot of people kind of dismiss pro wrestling as being fake, and I think that comes from the fact that. In its inception, pro wrestling was kind of marketed as a real competition, and people thought what they were watching was real. And once the kind of curtain was pulled back, and people realised it wasn't real, I think part of that pushback was it's starting to call it fake because they, I think maybe they were hoodwinked, mm-hmm. uh, you know, earlier. But um, in, in essence, uh, professional wrestling is a performance art, um, you know, mixed with sport. Uh, you know, it's it's Kind of like a violent theater, um, part improv, part rock concert, you know, stunt work, you know, sports. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a unique hybrid of, uh, of performance art. Yeah, and I've heard it described like a life, you know, a comic book coming to life. I mean, you're a comic book artist as well as being a wrestler. Do you sort of see the similarities as well? Oh, it, it, uh, totally. It's uh my love of comics is, and superheroes is how I fell in love with professional wrestling as a kid, because to me it was like the, first, you know, the closest thing to you know superheroes versus supervillains, you know, the muscles, the tights, and all that stuff. It was very much yeah, comic books uh, come to life. And, and so, how do these um, you know these storylines, these heroes and villains get woven into the story? I mean, do you get do do you know uber fans of wrestling? Do they get sort of insight and follow follow these characters through their journey? 
uh, ex- uh, exactly like you know, uh, if you're doing a job right, mm. the audience are invested in the journey you take as that character, and you know, very much like Roman Reigns um, and Cody Rhodes, you know, people were invested in seeing the hero's journey, but unfortunately, the ending uh, wasn't exactly what they hoped for. And so if you're doing your job right, the connection with the fans um, is always there in what you do. Yeah, that must be electric being up there and yeah, having people either boo or, or cheer you on. Um, and you mentioned Reigns there because I understand he's part of this, like not only a, a, a storyline for his character, but also a storyline for, for his family. He's part of this, this the bloodline, this, this um, sort of dynasty of Samoan wrestlers. Can you tell us a bit about their family and how, how it works into the larger pro wrestling uh, story? Yeah, so, you know, I, I mentioned how people say wrestling is fake, but in the, you know, the, the great thing about art and professional wrestling is if you use truth in what you're doing, people will connect. And one of the great things about the bloodline is the fact there is the truth that Roman Reigns and the Usos and Solo Sokoa are actual family. And you can't, you know, it's one of those things you can't fake where they actually are have grown up together. And so they're part of the, the Samoan dynasty, uh, which was kind of started by the high chief, Pina Maivia, the Rock's grandfather. Mm-hmm. And um, he had kind of, they're not actually blood-related uh, as uh, Polynesians and Pacific Islanders, like family is family, mm-hmm. whether you are you know, actually blood-related or not. And so his kind of blood brothers uh, were Alpha and Sika, the wild Samoans. And Sika happens to be Roman Reigns' father. And um, and then Sika's uh, younger um, sister uh, is the mother of Rikishi, who is the father of the Usos. Um, and so, uh, and Solo Sikor. And so, I guess, if you look at the kind of family tree, Roman Reigns is technically a generation above the Usos, even though they're in around the same age. Um, so it's, it's, it's really cool because yeah, that family has uh, kind of you know, created a dynasty within the professional wrestling world because um, there are other um, family members who are, are, were part of the pro wrestling you know, scene, including uh, Yokozuna, um, who's a cousin of Roman Reigns, Roman Reigns' older brother, was Rosie, and uh, you had Umanga, who's Rikishi's brother, uh, and Tonga Kid, who's also another one of uh, Rikishi's brothers, uh, and so forth. And then wow. Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, his daughter, is currently in WWE on really? NXT as well as Ava Rain. So, um, yeah, and there's a lot of people. There's just so many that I haven't even mentioned because their family has, um, has created so many amazing pro wrestlers over the years. Yeah, it sounds like you need a need a big wall just to map it all out and see all the connections between all the wrestlers. I mean, w- w- it's interesting that Pacific Islanders, particularly um, Polynesian families, the Samoan dynasty that you said, have been so dominant in pro wrestling. Do you know why that might be the case? Well, one of the great things about professional wrestling, I and mean, one of the things I love about being a professional wrestler, especially being Samoan as well, is that professional wrestling encompasses everything that... Polynesians, Pacific Islanders, Tangata Moana love its physical, but then there's the entertainment aspect. We love to entertain, we love to dance, we love to sing, and then we also love physical sports. And so pro wrestling just has everything 
rolled up into one package. And so we gravitate towards it and then we excel in it because it comes so naturally for us. And that's what I think um, really comes through with the Salmon Dynasty and why they're so dominant is because pro wrestling is perfectly suited for us. Mm, interesting. I think you're selling me on, on this uh, pro wrestling <laughs> there, Miguel. Um, if you are just tuning in to Pacific Beat, we are, of course, talking to the bloody Samoan. That's Mikel Muipola. We're speaking about, uh, well, all things pro wrestling as a result of WrestleMania, which wrapped up yesterday. It crowned Roman Reigns again as the undisputed universal champion. So we're just finding out a bit more about uh, his dynasty and, and all things wrestling. And as we've been talking about, Mikel, you know, all good wrestlers need a good storyline. What is the Bloody Samoans' storyline? What is your storyline? What do you bring to the ring? Um, yeah, the storylines change depending. Like, it's, it's the one of the great things about pro wrestling. It's ever-evolving. It's very, you know, the soap opera you know, kind of comparison is often used with professional wrestling because it's long-term storytelling. And so your character can go through so much over the years and is never really confined to one particular storyline. And that's what I love about it, that my character and, you know, pro wrestling characters uh, get so many ebbs and flows throughout their journey. And so at the moment, I'm uh, currently chasing uh, the New Zealand Tag Team Championships with my partner, Maddie Short, um, who's a little... Uh, less experienced than I am. He's a young guy. He likes to dance. I like to punch people. Um, and so we're a bit of an odd couple, um, you know, and I'm trying to kind of um, mentor him to be more aggressive and be a bit, bit of a fighter rather than a dancer. Um, but, you know, I've done all kinds of things. I've been New Zealand you know, taken champion with the legendary King Haku, who is uh, not necessarily part of the Salmon Dynasty, but he's also part, but he's part of the family. Um, you know, and um, I was also a New Zealand uh, heavyweight champion at one point. Um, so yeah, so it's, it, it's there's no one storyline um, that you go through as a pro wrestler. There's so many you no know, levels to it. Yeah, and I guess that's part of being a big fan of it, is following those storylines and following those journeys. I mean, if if someone is listening, maybe someone like me who doesn't know much about the world of wrestling but wants to, you know, get get into it, where where would they start? Is it is it? Can you just jump into a into one of the um, one of the games and watch it and keep you know know what's going on? Yeah, for professional wrestling, you know, obviously people do dismiss it because they don't understand it. Mm. And so I always, I always tell people they have to at least experience pro wrestling live at least once to really kind of get a feel for it. And maybe it, it does not end up being your cup of tea, but you know, you do appreciate it a bit more when you see it with your own eyes. Um, watching it on TV is all great and stuff, and you still love it. But watching it live, there's a kind of visceral kind of reaction to what you see in front of you. And it's such a great experience uh, for those who do uh, show up and, and check it out. And you know, professional wrestling is worldwide. You know, wherever you are based, uh, you know, there are amazing professional wrestlers locally in your hometowns uh, and promotions running shows uh, often. So, you know, uh, definitely, uh, Take a look and search for what's out there and, and give it a go. Give live professional wrestling a go. 
Yes, got to taste it live, I guess, to get um, to get hooked. Um, and I guess, I guess, if you're interested, you can start your own little um, show in, in your hometown if it, if there is one. Um, and you're you're playing, you're competing in Melbourne this weekend, is that right? Uh, no, I'm not competing in Melbourne, but I will be in Melbourne oh. uh, on April 22nd and 23rd uh, as a guest for the Supernova Convention. Um, so, you know, if you want to talk to me about professional wrestling comics or even uh, my work as a story artist for Disney Animation, um, you can see me in person in, uh, at the Melbourne Showgrounds on April 22nd and 23rd. Wonderful. Well, Mikael, thank you so much for your time this morning. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, that was Mikel Muipola, also known as the Bloody Samoan, speaking to us all things wrestling. Thank you so much for your company this morning on Pacific Beach. I'm Priyanka Srinivasan and hope you have a lovely day.